Great events create great brands, and it takes a village to put on an event that engages, excites, and connects audiences to your brand. And we're that village. I'm Alyssa. I'm Paulina. And I'm Rachel. And you're listening to Great Events, the podcast for all people interested in events and marketing. Hello, everyone. What has been going on in this wide, wide world of events? Once again, my name is Alyssa, and welcome to this week's episode of Great Events, a podcast by Cvent. This week, we're going to be talking about sustainability. We have started a little bit of a mini-series on sustainability topics. Today, we're going to be really focused on data and reporting and also how you can think about uh, taking your sustainability efforts to the next level through technology. Once again, I've talked about this on previous episodes, but April is Earth Month, so we are dedicated to up-leveling your knowledge as an event professional in this space and really better understanding what you can be doing today to make your events more green and to tap into the sustainability narrative that is very much taking our industry by storm. I am very excited to introduce two experts in this arena. I am joined by Kimberly Meyer. Kimberly Meyer is co-founder of Data Angel. Data Angel happens to be one of Cvent's affinity partners. If you are not aware of that program, please check it out on cvent.com. I'll give Kimberly the floor in just a second to introduce herself, but we also have a second guest on this podcast as well. Chris Justice, my colleague who works very closely with me on sustainability conversations within our customer base. Kim, Kim, there's two Ks. This one's going to be fun today, guys. Chris is a member of our, our customer success team. She is a senior manager of customer success for our European group. Chris is based out of Germany, so she's got a little bit of a leg up from our North American counterpart where we seem to be lagging in the sustainability narrative. So I'm very excited to introduce two of these wonderful women onto this podcast today. Kimberly, I'd like to pass the floor to you to give a little bit more background, what you're working on in sustainability, what Data Angel does. Tell me all the things. Great, Alyssa. Thanks so much. So I am the co-founder of Data Angel, and Data Angel is a reporting and data correction automation company that works inside of Cvent, hence the partnership. And I've been doing data work in the industry way back, even previously to, to Cvent, um, which is now, I believe, 20 plus years old. You've had your 20-year birthday. So I'm very familiar with a lot of work around, around analytics and reporting in lots of categories. I also am the co-founder of something called the ELX, or Event Leaders Exchange, which is a group of leads of corporate global events and meetings programs. And I'll talk a little bit about that later because there certainly is a lot of interest and in work being done you know, around how they can help their corporations to achieve sustainability goals. Awesome. Super excited to have you on the podcast today, Kimberly. Okay, Chris, passing the floor to you to give a little bit more background to your work and what you're doing on sustainability with CMS customers. Yeah, thanks, Melissa. So like Alyssa said, I am a senior manager in customer success. I am based in Europe, which is a really interesting place to work with CVENT. Um, we have a portfolio of customers that we manage that are primarily based out of Europe, including pay. And one of the reasons that I became an internal expert on sustainability is because of questions from our customers. So uh, like Alyssa was saying, we're a little bit ahead of the curve here on questions of sustainability and sustainable things. And as a way of supporting our customers and ensuring that they can sustain our platforms and support sustainable been developing guidance for a while now and started educating both internally and externally on the party. 
Awesome. Chris, got it right this time. Very excited to have you as well. All right, let's get into the conversation here. So Kimberly, I'm, I'm going to kind of start with you since you introduced Data Angel as this reporting and data and integrations kind of expertise. I'd love for you to start to talk to us a little bit about accurately and the accessibility of data for sustainable programs and, and how that works with technology and, and really how do you accurately measure sustainability sustainably? Can you talk to me about that? Well, the truth is, Alyssa, if you want me to talk about how to do it effectively, accurately, and sustainably, we're going to have a really short conversation. But there are some great things on the horizon. So probably many of the folks who listen to this podcast are aware that it's tough today because there are new tools coming out every day around carbon measurement. Certainly the transient travel world and air travel is reasonably covered by that. And some of those, uh, the folks who've done some reporting tools in that realm have also come out with meeting and event carbon tracking. But the challenge, at least that I hear in the marketplace, is still much of the work is manual, meaning you've got to ask event planners to do all the work in planning and creating and designing and taking care of their attendees and then enter a heck of a lot of data manually in order to get to, in today's world, to some semblance of accurate data. And I say some semblance because you should probably know we also all, all struggle with airlines, hotel chains, just lots of different ways of um, calculating carbon. And, and so there's not really an industry standard that, that anyone has seen yet. And so that's our challenge. There are some solutions, but let me, let me throw it over to Chris for a sec to see before I talk about guesstimating or estimating if Chris has any thoughts on that. And let me just say, for those who may not have met Chris Justice in life yet, Chris and I have had the opportunity to work together on various types of projects in, in many areas in the industry. And she really is the smartest person in the room. No one knows she has a PhD. I mean, a PhD. Over to Chris. Yeah, Chris, you missed that in your intro. You know, you're allowed to do a little humble bragging on a podcast. That's what it's for, right? Yeah, that's true. And it is in comparative literature, though. So I... <laughs> I feel like the application, not so, it's not so great here. Right. Although I do get to speak French and German to my customers, which is really exciting. And obviously something that I may have picked up in that PhD program. So the, yeah, actually in terms of what you're hearing, I'm really, I'm hearing the same thing, which is, and, and it's actually something that I have a real concern about in terms of our, our industry's ability to measure carbon at scale. And that's really a question of overhead. So we're, you know, we're starting to, when we talk about overhead, normally we're talking about finances. And there are also financial repercussions, obviously, to the time that's required in order to do accurate carbon tracking. And when we start to scale, then that really becomes something that we have to think actively about and find new solutions for. So if you're doing five to 10 meetings a year, then entering the data manually is not a major challenge. It's not a significant drain on your overhead and so on if it's manageable. But many of the clients that we work with, and that I know Kimberly works with as well, they don't do, they do that many meetings a half a day, right? So they're doing, uh, they're doing five to 6,000 meetings a year or potentially even more globally. And then the needs become quite different and the systems that have been put out for what I would consider almost like ad hoc carbon footprint tracking are not something that's going to work in that, at that scale. So how do we, how do we grow? And obviously, that's where there's a ton of value for us being able to do that because the carbon footprint of five to six thousand meetings is quite a lot. 
um, and being able to bring that down obviously has a huge impact as well. So uh, an area of interest for me, for sure, and one where I've been thinking a lot about how we can use data and technology in order to reduce that, the overhead of tracking our carbon. Yeah, and I was just going to add to that, Chris, something that I've noticed, or at least certainly an evolution or an up-leveling of this conversation has been getting out of just one-off event calculations. I think, you know, within the last, maybe, let's say, past five years or so, I think there had been an interest to calculate the carbon footprint of, let's say, the largest conference, right? But now, Chris, to your point, what you're saying, this need for scale is to take a much more programmatic view of the meetings and events program and to understand what is that total footprint of everything that you're running. And certainly that's being requested upon by those leaders of sustainability councils or committees or who's driving this from the top. So I think that is a, a shift in how we think about that carbon calculation. Kimberly, I'm curious if you're working with customers to calculate that programmatic view or what does the current state of affairs look like when it comes to calculation? Yeah, so one of the things that we are doing as the data angel, and as I say that, I will my next sentence will be, and you can do yourselves. You don't need the data angel to do what I'm about to say. But what we're doing is working with customers in order to look at what is a darn good approximation. So we don't want a planner to have to go to, you know, the Marriott West End in London, if there is if there is even such a place, I'm making that up, but ask a lot of questions and and figure out data for each hotel, for each restaurant, for each transport company. What we want folks to do in order to, again, get to some decent numbers right away and without so much overhead is we are finding um, tables, if you will, reputable, reasonable tables on, for example, hotel, three-star hotel in London. What is the general carbon output? What are the general numbers around that? It exists in the airline industry. It exists in hotels. To some extent, you can do it in ground transport as well as in, as well as in restaurant meals. And the idea is let's just go ahead and approximate. We won't be perfect, but quite frankly, I'm not even sure if you know the same flight on Delta or British Airways or American to London from New York is even the exact same calculation. So we're approximating. And we're, we're applying that to each and every meeting on an automated basis, which takes some of the hard work, you know, out of the, uh, the equation. And as I say that, a couple of resources, because folks can do this themselves, a couple of resources might be BP has some great, there are manual tools, but if you go to their website and Richard Eads of the BP program has done some great work with a whole team. And then, for example, at Cornell University in Ithaca, New York, in the United States, their hotel school has done some great work in putting together enormous databases on um, hotel carbon output and does a lot of research in that area. So these things exist. It takes a little bit of work. It's in its infancy, but it's a way to get to, again, those five or 10,000 meetings more reasonably than asking planners to enter that data. Chris, I, I have a, a curiosity for you. Do, do you see with our customer base that approximations are good enough, right? Because there are, we are starting to be held to stricter standards when it comes to, and I mentioned this already, but reporting upwards to the sustainability councils. Oftentimes those are being reported out to a board, certainly with a large global enterprise. There's, there are stakeholders that are starting to look at this data more intimately. So is that a conversation that you're having with with CMAC customers and the market at large around the need for accuracy in the reporting? Yeah, it's a great question. The, we're still seeing people feeling like they do need to have all a certain level of accuracy, but I, I think we're probably going to head in the direction that Kimberly is predicting and already sort of forging away on because it just, it just 
looking at reality in the face, it is not scalable. It just isn't. And so one of the things that I think we have to now that's right. Now one of the things that I think we are gonna head in is exactly this question of like, yes, we want to make sure we're directionally correct, right? We want to make sure we're approximating with a scientific basis. And that's where, you know, the work that was just referencing. If, as long as we have resources or sources that we consider trustworthy and verified and so on, who have done the extra legwork in order to get as close as possible, I think there is going to be a level of acceptance, even up to the boardroom level, that that makes sense because they also have to look at obviously the other questions like cost and time to the company to understand and balance those things. So just like every other business decision that's usually weighing certain concerns and, and coming out with a solution that is, you know, most good with the least damage, we're probably going to head in that direction. And I think it's a pretty brilliant way to go for organizations that are really struggling with that question of uh, overhead and time, which can lead to a certain kind of paralysis. And that is the most dangerous thing of all, right? This, I'm afraid to get started because I'm afraid of how much time it will take. And there might be a way forward with that approach. Yeah, and I can say one of the corporate event leaders I work with made their business case to their sustainability group of a Fortune 50 global company and literally said, you know, I can do, I can do estimation, good estimation based on some research you know, with basically a six months of one of my full-time staff as a project, or I can ask you for a full-time additional employee as well as $300,000 to try to get closer to what the rest of the corporation is doing. But that data, again, just doesn't really exist well today yet in the hospitality industry. Yeah, good is good enough right now, essentially. Yeah. Oh, it's just, it's that, it's, it's a way to prevent paralysis, right? And, and that's kind of the, where we are right now getting people to start the ball rolling. We're actually, we've got quite a number of customers and others in the industry who are our personal customers who are at that point and struggling to make that move. Let's talk about prioritization of the data because we've talked about, you know, 80 is the new 100 and making, making the moves. Is there an area where we should focus on our programs where we can scrutinize a little bit more heavily? I know I have heard through market research that travel is the largest area of carbon spend but are there other areas of the program where we should focus on data accuracy and really accurate reporting that could inform our decision-making process and the sustainability space? And either one of you, I will, I'll open that to, to either Kimberly or Chris. Kimberly, I think you mentioned in a recent conversation, uh, I kind of want to throw this to you on this one, around food, you know, the influence of food and research being done around food. I was kind of curious if you have some thoughts on that, uh, especially vegetarian food, yeah. local and so on. Yeah, so definitely everyone, I think, in the industry uh, is jumping on to air travel because it is pr probably the most, you know, furthest ahead in terms of good data and measurement and feels very obvious to everyone. And second to that, I think in meetings programs, folks are looking at the general hotel carbon output. I've got two thoughts. So first is switching gears a little bit. Some of the event leaders I work with are really talking about you know, how they've been given either a carbon budget or that's coming down the pike for them and really talking about changing the conversation because the carbon budget is great if we had 10 years of accurate data and we don't. And the idea of really curtailing travel or events in person, and especially after what we went through with COVID, 
is really difficult for many companies who need that engagement. And we won't talk in this podcast about the power of person-to-person engagement, but we know it's we we know how important it is. Okay. We have enough episodes on that. You can look in the repository. <laughs> so we're really talking about what tools are out there, and there are a few companies doing it, and how do we really look at just making better choices about what events and travel should be in person, should be as opposed to, you know, on a virtual platform or hybrid and making really good choices. And the ones that are important, going ahead and saying, let's use our carbon budget there, but let's not worry as much about, was it 10 tons last year and three tons this year or exactly what those numbers are? Let's just choose really carefully. And then to Chris's question, um, I've got some great event leaders talking about having their, their sustainability groups, the folks who are in charge of sustainability for a Fortune 50 doing some research on, for example, on food, right? And on meat versus vegetarian, as Chris mentioned. And the data isn't out yet from that group, but they're working hard in thinking that perhaps if we just take our thousand person convention or even our 50 person meeting, and we switch even one meal out from a meat-based meal to a vegetarian, we actually may end up, if we could do that at all of our meetings or many of them, having a much greater reduction in carbon output from reducing meat than we would from actually cutting back on flights. And so there's some really interesting measurement and some really interesting thoughts there around you know, how to change the conversation and still be able to do the things we need to do as humans um, in terms of travel and as, as uh, you know, benefiting our corporations uh, while still achieving you know, sustainability that we're all, we all believe and realize is critical to our planet. Chris, I think that's a really good segue for us to talk about what could a new normal of events look like with Cvents customers and how could Cvents customers somewhat, of, in a sense, lead the way for the rest of the event planning industry to kind of benchmark a new standard. How, how can we support our customers in doing that, delivering these you know, generalized best practices that might look like vegetarian options as the new default for F&B selection, for example? Yeah. And that's that's really where I think we we may be headed, and it really brings together what what Kimberly was just saying too about approximations. So if there are certain areas where we can have the most, we can invest our time to get the most accurate approximations, and then we set certain table stakes around those as a unique events industry, then we kind of gain two things at once, right? So we know we obviously know about travel, we know about potentially different kinds of you know venues with different energy classes. And then the other piece being food, obviously. And then, and then of course, the uh, very carefully choosing the type of meeting, right? A virtual and not always defaulting to life. But essentially, what I would love to see us do as, as events and then sort of leaders in the industry and planners executing against that is putting some stakes in the ground around these are the things that are table stakes. Right. So things that are table stakes might be you have a meetings and events program that is well balanced between live, virtual and hybrid. So if you have an entirely virtual program, I mean, that's very sustainable, but interesting. And from a, you know, are you achieving all your goals? But also if you have an entirely live, no questions asked program, is that, is that really approach? So a balanced program, a, a standard of, for example, vegetarian meal. And that that's something that we do across not just ad hoc, but across thousands and thousands of meetings that are put on every year that starts to make a difference. 
obviously a significant, obviously positive bias towards sustainable event venues, right? That are have high, highly efficient energy classes that do have waste uh, reduction programs and things like that. If those are the sort of three or four things that we can focus on to say, at least these we're going to cover. We're really going to be intentional about making sure these are covered for each of our our events. That could make a huge difference rather than each individual person being like, did I forget about the newspaper? Not don't deliver newspapers and somebody else being like, maybe I should focus on the water or somebody else saying like, oh, maybe I should focus on, I don't know, local sourcing, but I'm going to have a thousand water bottles. Like, you know, it's just, it's so uneven right now. And it would be really great to see combined. As opposed to adding yet another checklist for the planner, it becomes implied or implicit, right? These five things, just do those things for now. What I find really interesting is I had a conversation with another sustainability partner at mid last year, maybe towards the end of last year, another podcast for anybody to explore if you're interested in this conversation further, but it was about the notion of radical collaboration and partnership in this industry. And I think that's something that's pretty common for event planners. It's the whole, you know, premise of this career is collaboration and partnering and suppliers on this delicate ecosystem where it takes a village really to put an event experience on. And I think we're entering a new phase where we need to push the boundaries with those ecosystem partners for them to take on some of these standards themselves. So for example, for hotels to also say our vegetarian is the standard S&B model. And for you to actively choose otherwise, I think would be something that is radical, right? It is something that is seen as so different, but it is this ecosystem of players that need to all kind of come together to make a coalition of sorts to push this, this agenda forward, this agenda of a new normal of events through the sustainability lens. I also know I had a conversation previously with a waste and recycling expert that was more on the materials management, on the resource management. And we were talking about, you know, how we are no longer going to allow exhibitors to have paper products within exhibition halls that for one, the attendees don't want them anymore. So that there's this alignment of education as well on explaining to these these individuals who come to your events, part of the ecosystem, that there is a new normal, there is a new standard for attendees, but also for a sustainable event. So I find this interesting, but it is truly a communication plan at the end of the day, co coordinating and collaborating with all of these individuals. Take an effort for sure. Kimberly, do you have thoughts on that? And I yeah. saw you trying to jump in here. I love what you are both saying and just real life experience. One of my ELX members recently went to their 100-year-plus conservative company, who, of course, like every other company, has major goals on sustainability, and just switched the question around food, switched the question from at every meeting event, would you like vegetarian or another type of meal, dietary, religious, would you like that, to would you like meat? And, of course, also respecting religious and dietary other needs as well. And that question in a company that was quite historically quite conservative about the environment that their events would be in. It was groundbreaking, but those leaders did it. And they had a lot of pushback, as I'm sure the exhibitors will push back, some of them on paper. They did have pushback, but when explaining it with a good communication plan to their employees and customers, it all went really well for them. So I think it's just taking that first big leap and making those changes that can have, as Chris said, let's just do a couple of big things that have a huge impact.
yeah, and I, I don't think anybody could argue that change is easy, right? Like that's what change is all about. So it is taking a leap of faith. It is pushing something forward. And then you adopt what will become the new normal. But that, you know, that, that, that initial jump, that initial leap of faith that people could be willing to do something different is a little bit scary. And there's an acknowledgement around that too, I think. Chris, were you going to say something? It's so funny too, because we, we are already seeing it in, in places here and there in conversations. And, and, you know, we do have niches within the meetings industry. So when I was just thinking about it is exhibitors, specifically exhibitors, as you mentioned them, because we, you know, usually we think of meetings, uh, you put on a meeting, you have people come and talk. the exhibitors specifically, I remember um, uh, recently I was at a conference, a convention where there was a large exhibitor hall and they dumped something crazy there, no carpet. And that was just, Somebody taken a major leap of faith and decided for sustainability reasons, no carpet. To me, as somebody who, you know, is a casual attendee, honestly, and not a, not really in the exhibitor world, I didn't even notice. I, I really didn't. And then others, of course, were like, I was so afraid. What would people think? You know, things like that. So it was just fascinating to see it from that perspective discussed by people who really had to take a leap of faith. And it turned out that for most people, it was just a non-issue, you know. And there, I think hopefully there's other leaps of faith that we can take around food, for example, or exhibitors, frankly, you know, there's a lot of waste that goes into the stands and things like that. So like really rethinking what is expected of you and what, do you, what you think is expected of you versus what really is considered important. Apparently, you know, this book carpet was considered I just got to have carpet. And then when somebody finally broke the wall down, they'd be like, maybe I'm just going to try it without. And nothing happened. Nothing bad happened. Nothing happened. But it's a thing that gives you a new perspective. And I'm pretty sure that same exhibition will not have any carpet next year or any year after this. Chris, that is so funny because that is exactly what came up in this conversation with, and it will, you will hear this on another episode on waste and recycling, but we talked about carpet and carpet waste and the secret world of carpet. So it's got me thinking that we do need to do a podcast or an episode certainly on expo waste and carpeting specifically, because it is one of those kind of mystery areas of events that not everybody knows about and certainly don't realize the amount of resource waste that goes into that too. So, so funny that you brought up carpet specifically because it came up on this previous episode. And Alyssa, I have to give a little plug for the IMEX shows in Frankfurt and Las Vegas, only because for many years, they've been doing a lot of work on sustainability. And if anybody wants to learn more, I know they have experts at every show who can walk you through that entire show and every bit of carpet, wood, everything and how it's, you know, sourced, recycled, et cetera. So I love that. That's great. Certainly something that Cvent has participated in for many, many, many years. So great shout out oh, to IMEX. Yeah. So Just... come to IMEX. Come to my ELX program. If you are a corporate leader, go to the Cvent booth and learn about sustainability. There we Perfect. go. Perfect. The whole ecosystem right there, right? Hey, can I change gears for <laughs> can I change gears for one minute? And um, I am coming back to sustainability, but one of the things that comes up in these corporate conversations that I have with the vet leaders is also around just, you know, the human environment and getting people in the workforce back to offices or meetings at events somewhat after COVID and also just retaining people today. It's a, it's a talent war. And one of the things that um, some of my corporates were talking about was really this idea of in pre-COVID, 
many of us who worked for a large corporation would be really required to attend some internal and external meetings and events per year. So we knew that, you know, on our calendars, we had to attend a number of them. And sometimes that conflicted with family or personal or other things going on in life. And so it was tough. And so another idea that benefits sustainability as well is an idea that some folks are doing around a requirement for just a couple of meetings or events a year where, you know, they're looking at their employee teams and saying, we'd really, really like you to attend this in person because your contribution in person, your innovation, your creativity is going to be really valuable. And these other ones are optional. And we, as a human, we, we understand that you've got things going on in life. And so it may not be convenient to travel. And also we will be more sustainable if we give you the option, but don't require you in a situation that we're, we'd love to have you there, but we're not, we don't believe it's um, as critical. We do believe you can contribute over a virtual platform. So anyway, just another thought on something for our corporate planners to think about. Were you going to say something, Chris? I'll let you jump in if you wanted to. I, I certainly could see that, that the hybrid format is giving individuals the option, I think, and not even just in a single event experience, but kind of a hybrid program at large, having options for virtual, options for in-person. I think this flexibility notion is something where we are in it. We're in the thick of that, right? Like it's available now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I even see it privately where people have met, like I do volunteering and we, um, you know, we also try to be a little bit more flexible in that. Now, of course, the other thing, this is one of those beautiful places where sustainability meets inclusion. Right. And, you know, obviously, that's one of those wonderful things where you're actually addressing two needs at once. Certainly, the sort of optional meetings, being able to include people who, are, who can't travel for various reasons, is a way to make sure that you're still getting those valuable inputs from employees or from other attendees and so on. But doing it in such a way that people who aren't able to do that don't feel excluded. I know that, you know, I'm a single mom, so I can't just leave my children and, and fly off somewhere, but I would love to be included in certain meetings where it's important to be able to be there in some capacity. So those kinds of offers don't just help one audience, don't just help the planet, but also, you know, cover a lot of questions related to inclusivity and all kinds of different audiences. So that gets me excited too. When we do one good thing, usually there's a domino effect. The ripple effect, yeah. And of course, tracking a bit of this data in an easy manner. I I think the uh, the early kind of information I've gotten from folks is that people are making the right choices for themselves and sustainability as part of that for their own families, as well as, you know, their health, well-being and sustainability. And travel's actually coming down a bit, but to the point we just made, they're still included, right? So they're included in person in really important things that need in-person and they're still included virtually at other times. So we all win. Right. It's part of this big equation that we have now to balance all objectives. Yeah, it's kind of that, that human-centered approach, right? <laughs> I love that. All right, Kimberly and Chris. So closing remarks, any final thoughts you want to leave our listeners with today? Kimberly, I, will, I started this podcast with you. I would like to close it with you. Any thoughts? Yeah, so I'm going to pick up on Chris's just do a few, just do a few good things. And I would uh, strongly recommend that people advocate for, let me just start tracking, but tracking with some good, you know, approximations that are out there in the industry today. So we do track something, but without that cost. And, you know, let's all start thinking more vegetarian. <laughs> Love that. Chris, how about you? Yeah, I would say picking up on some of what we said, 
you know, three to five things, start there and do them consistently. So, and obviously those three things are, or three to five things can be the ones that have, you know, for sure have a higher impact, but do those consistently, do those across your programs, educate people about why, uh, I think you're going to find a lot more success that way than trying to do 20 different things at once, you know, very consistency is key to getting started. Thank you both so much for all the conversation today. Kimberly and Chris, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate and respect your brains on this narrative. Very, very much enjoyed having you on the podcast today. Listeners, we hope that you enjoyed our chat today as well and you found some inspiration or certainly some some key takeaways that will inspire you to think more sustainably about your meetings and events practices as well. As always, if you have any topics or people or guests that you would like for us to add to our 2023 season, DM us on LinkedIn, find us on Instagram, or you can always send us a note at greatevents at cvent.com. Once again, my name is Alyssa and thanks for tuning in to Great Events. Have a great week.